Hello and welcome to Tranquil Awakenings with me, Debbie Ison. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Dan about his health struggles and how he overcame them. We're going to be talking about low levels of testosterone, ADHD, sleep apnea, and how life-changing circumstances can make you reflect on your life, your purpose, and how through those experiences it can shape you to get you on the path where you're meant to be to help and support yourself and others. I've got Dan here with me today and we met fairly recently, was it just before Christmas? And you came to do your first degree Reiki with me. That's right. And you've since gone on to do your practitioner level qualification with me. And during our lunch breaks, we started to have a really interesting conversation basically about your life and the last few years, what's been going on with you. And I really wanted to share that with other people, particularly from a man's perspective of the journey you've been through and where you're at now, because I think it could really help and inspire others. So it's over to you to tell me where your journey began. Sure. Thanks, Debbie. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, So I guess I've been on a bit of a a journey of transformation over the last five years. Um, About 2017, 18, started experiencing some not particularly nice symptoms. Um, Energy levels were very, very low. Um, My libido completely disappeared. Um, Sort of aches and pains. Um, What what you might call brain fog. So difficulty processing information, remembering things. And um, I just had a feeling that that something wasn't quite right. So... um, so uh, I guess it came to a head for me um, just before Christmas and I'd gone to the lawn, I think it was, for a, to paint some baubles with my ex-wife and, and children and uh, I really like Christmas and should have been in my element and um, we were painting these baubles and I just had this odd thought that I really don't want to be here. Um, so then I thought to myself, well, where would you like to be if you could be anywhere? Where would that be? So I went through lots of different scenarios in my head. Do I want to be with, with my mates doing X, Y, Z? Do I want to be on holiday, walking with my dog, walking in the hills? And the answer was no, no, don't want to do any of these things. And, and I came to the conclusion that where, where do I want to be then if I don't want to be here? And the only place I wanted to be was, was sitting on my own under a tree in a field somewhere. And it was that thought that kind of shocked me quite a bit really and uh and I had a realization then that, that something wasn't quite right something was you know going going wrong and uh, I needed to address it well that's a huge thing in itself isn't it recognizing there's something not right but not quite knowing necessarily what isn't right and where to go to fix it absolutely yeah because I was, I was 44 then and I was doing a, a degree in teaching I had my, my kids were five and two and uh Sleep wasn't great, work was busy, uni was busy, and a lot of the symptoms I was experiencing, you know, I was thinking, well, they're just, I'm just getting older, you know, (laughs) this is what it's like to be in your mid-40s. And I think for men and women, so I know a lot of ladies, they're my friends and colleagues, that are perimenopausal, and they're often the same, that they just put it down to, well, it's just my age, or it's just busyness of life, it's just that I've got kids and I'm trying to run a business or work, and I think it's across the board that we tend to have such a busy lifestyle that we tend to end up just attributing it to that without maybe thinking what else might be going on. Absolutely. And I did that for a long time, Debbie. And 
then I, I just thought there's, there's something underlying here. So I started doing a bit of research and, um, and discovered that um, if you have low, low levels of testosterone as a man, then you do experience a lot of these symptoms. And um, so it was at that point then that I decided to carry out a blood test. And it was a, a basic finger prick blood test that came through the post. And uh, within a week had my results back. And I had the testosterone levels of a, an 80-year-old man. Wow. Mm. So, yeah, no wonder you were <laughs> struggling That's with lots right. of things. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, basically, my, my endocrine system had, had crashed, if you like. And um, so, I went to my... It was a private blood test that I'd done, but I went to my GP for a second blood test, a second opinion. And the nurse offered me antidepressants. Mm. which isn't going to fix it if it's a hormone imbalance not at all no absolutely and uh i got a little bit cross to be honest and uh i said to the nurse well, i have a blood test here that's showing i've got really low levels of testosterone and one of the main symptoms is low mood and depression which you know i'm experiencing why would i want to take something that that you know could have a lot of side effects when if I can just correct that hormonal imbalance and replenish the hormones that my body's no longer making naturally, then these symptoms will go away. And um, she said, well, I think you've got it the other way around. I think you're depressed and it's crashed your hormones, which I just knew was not the case. You know, I've always been a, a very positive chap and depression doesn't run in the family. And I just had this instinct that, you know, this, this was a symptom of something underlying. So carried out the second blood test and that came back and confirmed that I had what's called secondary hypogonadism. Right, so what does that mean? Okay, so, <laughs> so what that means is there is um, an axis um, called the HPT axis, which is the hypothalamus pituitary testicular axis. Okay. So your hypothalamus, in simple terms, your hypothalamus sends out a message to your pituitary, pituitary gland um, to check if there's any testosterone in the bloodstream. Um, and then it signals to the testicles, uh, it does the check, signals to the testicles, you need to make some testosterone. So the testicles make some testosterone, feeds back to the pituitary and says, right, got some testosterone. That sends a signal back to the hypothalamus to, to switch off. And, okay. and it does this throughout the day. Um, and secondary hypogonadism is where there is um, a break in that feedback loop somewhere. Right. So the signaling is not getting through. Mm -hmm. um, most chaps, if they have low testosterone, get a diagnosis of secondary hypogonadism. Primary hypogonadism is when there's damage to one or both of the testicles and they just can't produce the testosterone. Well, so that is interesting because you say it's, it's a physiological thing that's going on. It's a hormone imbalance. It's different parts of the body not communicating. So like you say if you'd gone on to the antidepressants, that would have just been a symptom that it was treating rather than the underlying cause. Absolutely. And it's a travesty because a lot of guys do go down that route. And I've got uh, quite a few friends that have gone down that route, tried two or three different antidepressants to no avail, um, and then discovered that they've, you know, got low testosterone as well. And once they've gone on to testosterone replacement therapy, it, it's it's fixed it and turned their life around. Rich, that's amazing, isn't it? It's just phenomenal. So is that what you did then? It is, yes. So I looked at the, uh, the treatment protocols and um, unfortunately the NHS... The treatment that they offer is not particularly effective. They'll give you some gel to rub into your shoulders. It's a generic alcohol-based gel with two or three percent testosterone in it, and uh, doesn't raise your levels very much. It's poor absorption and um, doesn't give you symptom resolution. So, uh, 
They'll try that first. Um, invariably, that anecdotally, that doesn't work for most guys. They then go on to something called Nibido, which is a big injection in the bum every 12 weeks. And um, that gives you super physiological levels of testosterone initially, but then the... Um, the test it wears off basically it's gonna be a complete imbalance again isn't it, it? is yeah. and so you get peaks and troughs mm. and and the, the the injections are spaced too far apart so guys that that go down that route end up with the symptoms returning and and feeling rubbish again and, and pining for the next injection so i looked at the private sector and um i went to a private trt clinic and um and started treatment with them so um so i started to uh, i was petrified in needles as well I had a real needle phobia um and um, I remember the day my medication arrived and I'd had it sent home to my parents. It needed to be signed for and I dashed home out in my, my lunch hour and um, saw the size of the needle and, and um, had to ask my mum to, to inject me for the wow. first time. But, um, but the needles are a lot smaller now. This was five years ago. But it's, um, and my needle phobia is gone. But I, I remember having the first injection and uh, I was training to be a teacher at the time, went back to work. And I was walking across the school hall and all of a sudden it felt like a, someone had shringed my ears and I, I could just, th you know, think clearly. Um, and it was a real eureka moment. You know, it sort of stopped me in my tracks. I thought, my goodness, I can think more clearly. Um, That's so fast. Mm, yeah, there was, there are different what are called esters, which are fatty acid chains attached to the testosterone that I was on. And one of them's like a quick release one. So, so sometimes you'll get you know, the effect of that one fairly quickly after the, inje the first injection. Um, not for all guys, but, uh, but I did notice it. And uh, yeah, it was, um, I just knew then that, you know, I was on the right track. One of the main symptoms I had was, was brain fog, where um, it was just difficult to, to process information quickly, um, which whilst I was doing my degree was, was a bit of a, an issue. That sounds a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, especially if it's something like a teaching degree. I remember back when I was doing my teaching degree, it's very, very intense. Yes, it was. It was intense. Um, but fortunately, you know, every injection, then I was injecting myself twice a week and every injection I got better and better and better. And the only way I can describe it, Debbie, is it just felt like I was getting a zest for life back. Um, sort of that, that feeling you have in your 20s when you know the weather might be terrible you might not have any money in your pocket but you jump out of bed and you, you're ready to take on the world it's just a it's difficult to explain really but it's just a, a, a feeling of deep well-being and calm confidence in facing any of life's circumstances so where did it go from there that then obviously helped me massively in my degree um but um and i had regular blood tests on treatment so a year later on my, my comprehensive blood test at 12 month mark, um, the doctor picked up that I had an issue with my, my thyroid. Right. So I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. All right, so for people who don't know what that is, mm. could you just give a little explanation? Yeah. So essentially my, my immune system was attacking my thyroid gland. Um, so, um, and I would get various flare-ups and the flare-ups could be caused by all manner of things really. If I ate the wrong food, um, particularly sensitive to gluten I found out or, or sugar in excess or even stress, you know, stress would cause a flare-up and the symptoms were similar to, to having low testosterone so energy levels depleted a bit 
Um, but there were some fairly distinct symptoms. Um, so I got a lot of heartburn and cold hands and feet. And okay. I'd never, ever experienced that. So when I relayed this to the doctor, um, that's when he said, yes, you know, you, you've looking at your bloods and with what you've told me, you know, you have got Hashimoto's. So uh, fortunately, um, it's just a matter of replenishing those hormones that, that um, my thyroid gland was, was unable to make. Um, and so um, once, once I'd restored those hormones to sort of, you know, a, a, an optimum range, again, the benefits from that were, were incredible. So my energy increased, um, you know, the cold hands and feet went away, the heartburn went away. Um, so feeling a lot better. I think from talking to you, it just sort of highlights to me just how essential hormones in your body are and the right balance of hormones. And I think that's something that's really often overlooked, but also how things that we're putting into our system can be influencing those hormones. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's I don't know whether they, um, there isn't really a, um, a, a reason for um, or a cause for hypergonadism. Um, I came across some interesting research a few months back, but apparently my grandfather's generation, they had twice the levels of testosterone in their bodies that, that men... You know, so what's in, going on then now? Well, there's a lot of theories around, but I, I think it's a number of things. I think there's, um, there's more estrogen in our water supply than yeah. there's ever been now before from, you know, the contraceptive pill. Um, and that obviously affects a chap's testosterone levels. Um, but there's also lots of other endocrine disrupting chemicals. There's parabens in shampoos and conditioners and you know plastics and things um, and then obviously our diet won't be as healthy as it was back then um, a lot of processed food um, but also I think one of the big things is stress to be honest Debbie and, and we live in a society where there's a huge amount of stress there's a huge amount of expectation in all aspects of life we're meant to be able to achieve and perform and always do more and more in everything and be better and it's just not sustainable is it absolutely no and if you think back it wasn't that long ago where sunday was a day of rest it was a day to spend with the family you know um and the shops weren't open um you know you had a landline telephone so you know nowadays you're, you're contactable 24 7 aren't you which that is a huge stress i know sort of in my work i absolutely love it but i've had to become really strict with myself when the children are on holiday and i'm on annual leave I leave the phone on, but I lock it away yeah. so that I can't be checking it because otherwise I'm getting message after message after message from clients or colleagues and it can become really overwhelming. You don't ever shut off from it. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, absolutely. So, so, so you've got the, the, the fact that we're switched on 24 seven and, and the pressures of, 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 you know, modern life, but, um, but it also links into, I was watching a very interesting podcast with um it was, it was on joe rogan actually there was a doctor a dr mark gordon okay. who was working with a number of american troops who had been diagnosed with ptsd and um one particular chap was on about 50 15 different medications bearing in mind this is america so you know um, <laughs> probably you know quite pleased to be prescribing him this that and the other but he was on antidepressants pain meds sleep meds you know and um and he was in a real state, basically. And um, Dr. Mark Gordon had done some research and found out that um, IEDs, I think it's intermittent explosive devices in, in, in war zones, so loud explosions going off a lot of the time can shatter your hormones. Wow. And so these guys were in sort of environments where that was happening a lot. And he, 
he likened it to having your fight or flight dial if you like switched on to sort of five or six all the time you know so you've got that adrenaline and cortisol re releasing constantly because you're always on edge which then it's going to suppress the immune system cause all sorts of hormonal imbalances right. and problems in the body yeah and affect the endocrine system and, and deplete your hormones and so with this um with this um soldier he he basically restored various hormones in his body he came off all of the medication completely turned his life around and um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. But that, that, that makes me think that to a lesser extent, living in modern life now and the stresses that we experience, maybe most of us have got our fight or flight dial switched up to sort of three or four most of the time, you know. And so I think coupled with environmental factors, diet, uh, you know, and, and stress, I think that is probably depleting men's and, and women's hormones faster than it ever has before i think that makes perfect sense and like a lot of the clients i work with we do have to deal with those elements of stress as well because like you say you've got those constant stressors but then there's those acute things that happen those life circumstances and they tip people over the edge and it means that they can't cope not only mentally and emotionally but also physically they then tend to get imbalances and disease disease mm -hmm. um and they can't cope and I think it's been really interesting over the last few years because we've had the pandemic and there was all of a sudden everyone's life just got thrown into chaos and everything changed very suddenly I'm still noticing the effects of that now with my clients that are coming in that they're still at that heightened state of arousal they've never gone back down to where they were pre-pandemic so I think if we've got all of that bubbling 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 away in all of us we're more likely to snap at each other when got less patience less tolerance less resilience when other life situations come in and then it creates sort of a bit of a chaotic environment within our body and in our own systems yeah absolutely absolutely and obviously the mind body connection you know if you're if you have disease in the mind then um that's going to transfer into the body. So obviously you've got your Hashimoto's and <laughs> then so you balance that out with your hormones. What happened next? Um, oh gosh, just making me think. I think I was ready for the knackers yard. Um, <laughs> so shortly after that, I, um, I discovered that I was um, stopping breathing in my, in my sleep so, um, and, and snoring really loudly. Okay. Um, and uh, this was towards the end of my degree. And... Um, started to get super tired again and um went to the doctors filled in a, a questionnaire i think it's the epworth sleepiness scale and uh you know you have to answer questions like how likely are you to fall asleep after eating in the evening or whilst watching a movie and then even sort of stopping at the traffic lights yeah. in your car you know and um and i answered the questions and then off the back of that they wanted to do a sleep study on me so they sent me all of this kit to strap to myself and uh, yeah, so I had to um, strap a, a recording box to my chest. I had a uh, um, cannula up my nose, is it a cannula? Um, <laughs> and uh, a, a, a something measuring my oxygen on my, my finger. Um, and uh, yeah, it came back and, and I had severe obstructive sleep apnea. What cause is that then? Um, they're not really sure it happens normally if if people are you know very overweight um and you know the, the, the sort of the neck can the throat can close up um sometimes it can be your tongue dropping into the back of your throat so what was happening was i was never getting into those deeper stages of sleep they stage three four and rem sleep where your body is 
replenishing itself and, and resting deeply and restoring and, and you know doing all of the repair work that it does in those deeper stages of sleep so I was never reaching those I was just sort of dropping into stage one two stopping breathing snoring loudly not quite waking up but um, you know sort of maybe coming back up to stage one sleep and turning over and um, yeah and then well, I and suppose then, that's a stressor for the body as well if it all of a sudden it's not getting the oxygen and and everything that it needs it's going to cause the body to panic to have to move or do something to start the breathing up again that's isn't right. it so you're never going to be able to settle that's right and i think when you do stop breathing eventually there's a there's a burst of adrenaline to to say to tell your body to breathe um and then you do you know you, you loud snore gasp for air and um and you run away you see because you you don't actually wake up i think once or twice i remember waking up and thinking did i just snore really loudly then and felt a little bit out of breath but just dismissed it and turned over and went back to sleep um so the 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 treatment for that is is it's it's really effective but it's not particularly great (laughs) and um so it's it's called a uh, you have to wear a CPAP it's a CPAP mask which okay, is yeah. continuous positive air pressure mm-hmm. um, so it's essentially a mask that went over my mouth and nose um, with a silicon seal uh, with a tube going to a machine and that machine um, pushed air down my throat to keep my airways open at night is that something you could just settle into or did it take a bit of time to get oh, used to it took to a bit that? of time to get used to absolutely yeah yeah it's uh, I remember my friend who um, he had uh, He'd been diagnosed and he, he said, I'm going to give you a bit of advice. He said, just embrace, you know, the mask. Um, he said, because, you know, you'll, you'll at times hate it. But he said, it's, it's a very effective treatment. I don't know what the figures are, but there's not a huge percentage of people that stick with the treatment. But those that do, it's extremely effective in, in helping you get good sleep. And so I tried my best to, to embrace it. And um, after the first year... It, it, all of the information is recorded in the machine and sent back to the hospital. And after the first year, I think I'd, I'd used it 352 nights out of the 365, which they were really pleased about. Um, and, um, and I was averaging six and a half hours sleep a night with the machine. Um, apparently anything over four hours using the machine and they're, they're pleased. So, so, and then they showed me the data and, and I was having zero episodes of sleep apnea whilst wow. wearing the mask. That's such so a transformation. Yeah, it is, yeah. So and my, I think that's a really good example of when medical intervention is beneficial yeah. because I'm always very much, I'm obviously a complementary therapist. I know I really believe in what I do, but I think there are times and occasions where the medical treatments are also necessary and it's just working out for each individual person. I don't always think all the medical treatments are useful I don't always think just the complementary. I think there needs to be a balance for each different person. I think it's really interesting listening to you as well that it's not necessarily one factor that's contributed to ill health or health. I think there's been a variety of things that have gone on in your body that have all needed balancing and you've needed to find them step by step until eventually you found that right combination for you. And I think that's really important for people to note that if you are on a journey where you're not well yet or you're still struggling to find out what it is, keep going because there will be a solution out there if you haven't found it yet it doesn't mean you won't find it it just means you've ruled out some stuff already and that's going to help you then to find the right path to get onto absolutely and i think it's important to say to to do your own research as well you know it was um that was quite obvious to me when i first went to the doctor with low testosterone and uh 
the nurse dismissing it and offering me antidepressants. So, uh, yeah, I think doing your own research is, is vital. It's your body after all, and you should be the one that, that, um, that takes the lead in, in trying to, to make it. Definitely. And I think there's a few really important points with that. Firstly, you know, your body intuitively, you know if something is or isn't right, regardless of a test. Most people do anyway, if they've got healthy mindset. I've always been very intuitive with my body, and there's been a few times where doctors have dismissed me, but it's been accurate that there was something imbalanced. So it's trusting yourself, but also it's recognising that doctors work really hard, but there are so many different conditions out there. Sometimes they'll have only had a couple of hours lectures on a particular condition or issue and there's so much for them to choose on they're not necessarily experts in any given area unless they're a specialist so I think that research is really really essential and important and I think that helps you to feel empowered as well because all of a sudden you're starting to take control I don't necessarily think it's helpful just to sort of go onto Google and do a quick what's my symptoms oh my gosh I'm dying of something really obscure but there is a lot of useful things out there so it's not being overly reactive but staying calm, looking at the research and then sort of following it, isn't it? And I think often you end up going on this sort of trail of research until you eventually come up with the answers. It's, uh, it never does you any favours, does it, when you Google an ailment and, <laughs> uh, and then panic. So I think that's a really good point, Debbie. It's, uh, it's about being measured and gathering the facts um, and staying calm throughout. But it's, um, it's interesting there, you say, because with regards to the training, um, to work with um, hormones and, and the endocrine system, then doctors will specialise and, and go into endocrinology. Um, but most of the endocrinologists in, in the UK um, tend to specialise in, in the hormone insulin because of diabetes. Yes. And there aren't many that, that specialise in, in the sex hormones, you know, mm -hmm. testosterone, estrogen and, and the like. So, um, and I actually was, I, I was actually, um, I was referred to an endocrinologist um, after the second blood test. So whilst I was looking into the treatments through the NHS and privately, I did go and see an endocrinologist and I'd already done my research on the, the gel. And um, he was fairly, I, I felt he was fairly dismissive. And I think he said something like, oh, well, we'll, we'll get you on a bit of gel and we'll have you feeling a little bit better by Christmas. And I remember leaving, leaving his, his room and thinking, I don't want to just feel a little bit better. You know, I, I want to feel as, as good as I possibly can, you know, and, and if there's an imbalance here, I don't want to just um, skim the surface in terms of fixing it. Um, I want to optimise, you know, those hormones that, that, that aren't there anymore. Um, so for me, that was, a, you know, that was a, a step towards going private. And I think it's amazing that you had that inner strength to say, actually, I don't want to just settle with what I've been told. And I work with so many clients, whether it's pain management, whether it's mental health conditions, where they've been to a doctor and they've been told this is the best you'll ever be or you're going to get worse. You're going to deteriorate. This is there's no hope for you or you're going to be on these medications for life. Mm -hmm. And depending on their outlook and whether they accept it, and it often depends on how well they are and how they progress. So some of the people that accept that then tend to be overly medicated, really struggling, having a very difficult lifestyle. Then the mental health issues tend to set in because they feel very depleted. Those people who think, actually, I'm very grateful for what I've got and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to look for other alternatives. And I sort of reject the negative side of this tend to have a better prognosis they tend to live a more happy fulfilled life and they either stay stable or they improve 
depending on what they do. And I think that's really important, that mindset of, am I going to accept what I've been told or am I going to strive for higher? And I think you doing that has obviously allowed you to be where you are now. You'd had all these health things. Mm. And then you also, when you was at university, you started to question, obviously, the way that you were working. Yeah, that's right. I, I was, yeah. So, so uh, I was finding that I was leaving every single assignment until the very last minute. Um, and uh, I remember speaking to some of my um, my colleagues and uh, they'd say, oh, have you started your assignment yet? You know, and, no, no, not yet. You know, and, uh, and they'd look at me in shock horror and sort of, well, it's got to be in, in three weeks. And I remember thinking, well, I've got three weeks to do it then. You yeah. Know. Um, and then it would get closer and closer to, to the deadline. And uh, almost every single uni assignment I left until the weekend before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we'd have a, a mad you know, sort of weekend in the uni library, um, doing two 10, 12 hour days back to back and, and putting the assignment together and, and submitting it on the Monday morning. Um, and I just, and I started to reflect on that. And I thought, my goodness, I, I used to do that at school. Everything was left till the last minute. I left my homework till the last minute. I revision was done, you know, very sparingly at the last minute. And, uh, and I started to think, you know, why do I do this? I'm an adult now and I'm, I'm doing a degree in something that I'm really interested in. Why am I leaving these assignments till the very last minute? So I went and had a chat with one of my lecturers and explained that, you know, this is what I was doing. I was a little bit concerned. I said, in an ideal world, I said, you know, I'd sort of start earlier and, and, and not put myself under so much pressure. And she turned around and said, well, what marks are you getting? And I was getting good marks, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And, and she said, well, that's brilliant. You're on for a first class honours degree. What's the problem? And I, I remember thinking, well, OK, well, that's, that's fair enough. Um, and she said, you, clearly you need the pressure to make you focus. And she said, and some people work that way. And she said, you're one of those. She said, so I wouldn't worry about it. So I went away um, sort of accepting that. But, um, but then being very aware of the, the huge amount of stress that would build in the lead up to doing the assignment. Um, and um, yeah, and, and it transpires that um, I found out just under a year ago that I've actually got ADHD. So, um, and that answered a lot of questions. So it was a friend who, friend who had ADHD and we met a few times and um, We'd spoken a lot over the phone and then we met a couple of times in person um, to talk about um, working together. And uh, on our third meeting, he, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I've, I've got ADHD. I thought, that's very nice. I someone wondered why he was telling me. And uh, he said, I'm telling you because I think you have too. Um, again, there was a bit of a shock. I said, okay, um, what makes you think that? And he ran through some of the... Um, idiosyncrasies if you want to use that word that that people with ADHD have and uh and they really resonated and um and he was he was as far as he was concerned you know there was it was without doubt he said you know he was quite quite well researched himself you know and uh and he told me to carry out a screening questionnaire so there's a, a free screening questionnaire it's about 25 questions um, you know, and they, they ask you, um, how often do you, um, not want to do something, um, you know, and, and, and you leave it till the last minute or do you interrupt people's conversations or do you finish people's sentences? And, and, you know, rarely, 
never, never, rarely, sometimes, often, or very often. And I, I, I scored often, very often on almost every question. So I know I've done it more than once, and I tend to score quite highly on it as well. I think yeah. I have the procrastination when I become overwhelmed, I distract myself with other tasks. But I also have the hyper focus that when I am under that pressure, I can just really focus on that with mm. exclusion of everything else. Yeah. I've never pursued it any further, but I think talking to you. That made me really think again, oh, there's definitely some traits there within me. I remember us me. having that conversation, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I speak to a few people and they sort of look and, 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 and agree and think, oh, yes, you know, that sounds like me. But um, but yes, I um, I needed to know. I guess that's part of, part of ADHD as well uh, as an impulsiveness. But um, so, yes, yeah, so I uh, carried out the questionnaire and uh, off the back of that, um wanted to get a diagnosis but there was a long waiting list for the NHS it was years you know and so I paid for a private assessment and uh, was diagnosed with combined ADHD so attention deficit and hyperactivity and um, and I wasn't too sure about the the treatment because um, the treatment is um, it's a stimulant medication um, and you know, I was thinking at the time, I don't really want to be more stimulated than I am <laughs> most days. But it has a has a uh, the opposite effect if you if you have got ADHD, in that it really helps to um, focus focus the mind on what you're doing, um, and helps you to become less distracted uh, and more motivated as well. So uh, yeah, it is very interesting. So I went through um, went through a series of of. Uh, trialing a couple of different medications and titrating the dose up with regular doctor reviews um, to find the right dose for me because it's a very individual thing mm-hmm. and um, and it's helped massively you know it really has helped to um, help me to, to to stay focused on a task mm-hmm. um, but not just focus motivation for it as well and so so yeah so that that's been that's been a bit of a game changer in terms of um, working towards being the best me I can be. That's amazing. Mm. And I think you've been on a real journey of recognising that you can become the best version of yourself. And I think you had a really life-changing moment, didn't you, the other year when you were teaching? I did, yeah. So um, not last November, the November before, um, I uh, was involved in quite a nasty car accident. So a guy on the A46 smashed into the back of me doing 60 plus miles an hour. I was stationary and I was very, very lucky. Um, it was only a, uh, it was a golf, Volkswagen Golf that hit me, um, caused some injuries, but, um, and totally wrote the car off. But um, I, uh, so, so I was, as I say, I was, I'd started to teach by that point. So uh, went from doing a 60, 70 hour working week as a teacher, to sitting down on, on, on my bum with, you know, not a lot to do, just sitting there with time to think. And uh, I did a lot of reflecting at that time and, uh, and, and thought to myself, if that had been a lorry, then I would have been dead, you know, guaranteed. Quite a scary thought. It is really, yeah. And then I, you know, I kind of analysed that and, and thought, did I have any awareness at all that morning when I woke up that actually this, this could be your last day? And I didn't, you know, not at all. So uh, that then led me to think, well, you know, how truly present am I each day, you know, and um, and then I started thinking, you know, is, is teaching for me 
um, what's my purpose, you know, and I, I loved, I loved teaching the, the kids, that's great, but a lot of the other stuff that comes with the job, as you will know, Debbie, is, is <laughs> I remember uh, is well. ideal. <laughs> Still scarred from it years later. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, so it was, it was a, a turning point for me, and I had, I'd split up with my wife, actually, the, the summer before that, and met my girlfriend, Lou, and she's been an incredible inspiration. She 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 helped me to um, to engage in this path in, in in doing something that that is my true purpose. And uh, had a long hard think and thought, what is it I actually want to do? And I decided that I want to help guys with issues with their hormones, like I experienced. Which that's incredible for you to be able to take that experience that you've had personally. And then think, not only am I going to heal myself, but now how can I apply this to the wider world to help others? I think that's really inspirational. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it, it was, a, it was a nice moment because I'd done this four-year degree to be a teacher, I'd started teaching, and then, you know, this crash. And, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a bizarre situation, really, because um, I thought that was it. I was going to be a teacher and... Uh, and just sitting with it, I realised that actually it's not for me. I want to teach in some way, um, but not necessarily in a classroom. And so Lou said to me at the time, well, what does that look like? You know, what, what is it that you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to set up a men's health clinic. She said, okay, do you, on your own? Or is there someone you want to, to, to do that with? And I said, I would like to do it with, with Sam. He was, he was my friend with ADHD who noticed that in me. And uh, he was my mentor if you like when I first went on to treatment with the private clinic right. we'd become we became good friends he's a physiotherapist by trade mm -hmm. he's a really smashing guy uh, we we became good friends and uh, he I knew he'd left the, the the TRT clinic that he was working at and uh, I put it off for quite a few weeks actually and you know Lou said to me you need to pick up the phone and ring Sam so eventually I did and just asked him, do you fancy setting up a men's health clinic for hormone replacement? Wow. And he said, that's quite bizarre. He said, I'm, I'm doing exactly that. It's The wheels are in motion now. Um, do you want to be involved? And I said, yes, I do. And so the Mojo Clinic launched um, 15 months ago. And wow. it's going really, really well. So uh, I speak to guys every day um, who are experiencing what I experienced. And... Uh, it's it's amazing you know i do speak to guys that are experiencing extreme symptoms and some of them have very very dark thoughts you know they're 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 really struggling and to be a part of that process whereby they they realize that this is what's wrong with me you know they may have gone down that path of trying antidepressants and um a lot of the guys get to the end, the end of their tether really you know and to then help them start treatment and often I get to speak to them months later when they're experiencing the benefits of, of replenishing their hormones so that's it's amazing. it's amazing and I think that's so rewarding isn't it I know I get that from my work when you've been able to help somebody get that hope back and also to find out this is what's really going on underneath mm. and that there is a solution things can be changed you don't need to stay in a place of suffering and struggling you can do something different instead and it's just finding the right help or support for what you need. There was the, 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 the documentary with Davina McCall on okay. a while back, wasn't there, on the menopause. And I remember watching that. 
and there was a, a lady who was interviewed and and I think she said something like, oh, I didn't know much about this HRT business. More people should know about this. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, not many people know about TRT. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about this, because I think it's just not very well known at all. And I think in general, there's not a lot of help or support. So like, I, I've had the experience of being a woman. I've had the experience of being pregnant, mm-hmm. having three babies, mm-hmm. having all the hormonal changes after that having lots of friends that have been perimenopausal, menopausal. But we tend to hear it by having those intimate discussions and conversations. It's not something you're told about in wider society or in textbooks or something you really learn a lot in school or anywhere else. And it's only through, I suppose, a lot of the work that I do, because I know so many health professionals and so many therapists, I get to learn about that. But then there's even less dialogue when it comes to men. And I don't know whether that's just because... I don't know as many men in that field or if it's because it's men don't often, I know this is a generalisation, but men, when they often get together, I've got a friend at the moment who's going through some difficulties and he says his friends offered support, but he also says, like, if you need to talk, I'm here to listen about all your rubbish life decisions and there's sort of quite a lot of joking and banter and there's that not that deeper conversation <clears throat> So there's not that sharing of information of actually, do you know what? I've got something here that's a hormonal imbalance and it's impacting me in this way. Have you heard about it? So I think you getting the message out there and what you're doing is brilliant. Yeah, thank you. I I agree with that. I think guys, they don't tend to talk about how they feel as much as women do. And I don't know, there still seems to be a, a stigma around saying to your mates, I just don't feel good in my head, you know, and and I think they, guys will mock each other. And I think that that's, that's to deflect the conversation (laughs) because it, 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 for some reason, most men or or some men, you know, they find it, they find it difficult to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, yeah, it's not great at all. I, I remember after watching, just going back to the Davina McCall documentary, I remember after watching it, I sat there and thought, somebody needs to do a documentary on TRT, that needs to be done. And just by chance, a matter of months after that, um, I only, only saw it three or four months ago, um, I was in a coffee shop and struck up by chance a conversation with a young student. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that he's doing film at uni. And uh, I said, oh, that's very interesting. I said, what kind of film? What are you doing? He said, well, we've just finished a documentary on a local drag queen. And uh, I said, oh, is it documentaries that, that you're interested in? He said, yeah. He said, that's, that's, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. I want to be a documentary filmmaker. Oh, amazing. So the light went off in my head and I thought, <laughs> oh, this is interesting. So I put it to him. And he's agreed to work with me to do a documentary on TRT. That's amazing. Oh, and I love the way that the universe works. It just puts those people in your path at the right time, the right people, the right circumstances, the right piece of information. And I think when you're open to being receptive to that, life's really magical. But also it gets you on that path of not only helping yourself, but being able to help and inspire lots of others. Yeah, it it was just, I don't know, pure luck I don't know whether I manifested that with the thoughts putting out there that I'd like to meet a documentary filmmaker but uh, but it happened and uh, we've had a meeting already and we're due to have another meeting and to start filming soon so um, that'll be interesting that's so exciting. exciting it is
That's really exciting. And I think you just mentioned their sort of manifesting. Another part of your journey is you've started to think about therapies, haven't you? And you've been training as a therapist as well. So can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yes, that's right. So I, as you know, I've done Reiki 1, Reiki 2 with yourself. I've also done an IMT practitioner course. And off the back of wanting to help guys with their hormones, I wanted to extend that to helping as many people as possible to to just work on their mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health as, as they can. And so the dream, I guess, is to is to open at some point in the future a wellness retreat and run various different therapies from there. So uh, So now I'm on a path of training to be um, a life coach alongside continuing working for the Mojo Clinic, obviously, and consolidating some of the skills that I've learned through you with Reiki and through IEMT as well. That's amazing. It is. It's very exciting. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. So have you got anything just to sum up that you would pass out perhaps as a key message to anyone that's listened to this that might help or inspire them? Yes, I would say certainly to guys that are experiencing any of the classic symptoms of low testosterone for example low energy low mood um, low libido if you notice that you've not had a morning erection for a while as a chap that's that's quite a telltale sign Um, depression anxiety brain fog a lack of focus concentration motivation your mojo is just not there then to just carry out a blood test. You find out what your, where your health is on a metabolic level before embarking on taking antidepressants. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that antidepressants don't have their place, and of course, they, they will help you know certain people, um, but I just think that there's no harm in carrying out a very basic, simple blood test to check where your hormones are before Makes you do perfect anything sense. else. You know? Same with a car, isn't it? You would go and sort of check the oil you would check all of the basics before you went and made any sort of major changes to it if it wasn't running properly absolutely as the garage would they would do the basic things first to fix those before doing anything more complex oh amazing well thank you so much for coming on today i've really enjoyed listening and it's really helped to educate me and what i would say as well is if there's any women out there listening think about your male friends think about your partner Think about the men in your life and is this something that perhaps you could broach with them if you've seen some of those symptoms as well? Because I think collectively, if we can all open the dialogue to these things, that's how we create the shift. And I know there still is that uncomfortableness, not only talking about personal issues, but also particularly if they involve genitalia or any bodily functions. But I think if you can just do it in just a quite direct way, just as we've done today, Mm -hmm. then it can really sort of, give that light bulb moment probably for a lot of people to find in a solution to feel better. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you'll come back again another day and I wish you every success with the Mojo Clinic and your documentary. Thank you, Debbie. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you are interested in what we do, please go to my website, www.tranquil-awakenings.co.uk. As well as information on the therapies I offer, there is also links to my Past Life Regression Therapist programme and my professional hypnotherapy training programmes. 
If you are looking for online training for self-development, please go to debbieison.thinkific.com. And also remember to follow me on social media. Simply on Facebook, type in Tranquil Awakenings to find my business page. And I'm also on Instagram. I love hearing from you. Please do send any comments or questions. And if you have any ideas of what you would like me to talk about on future episodes, please do send me a message.